right, so welcome everybody to Inside the Cylinder, one of your go-to Detroit Pistons podcasts. All new episodes can be found on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream. And uh, make sure to rate and review while you're at it. It definitely helps out with uh, other people finding out about this show if you're liking what you're hearing, and hopefully you do. Um, But yeah, we have a bit of a doozy on our hands uh, for episode 102. And to help break it all down, as always, I am joined by Matt Way, my co-host. Welcome, Matt. How's it going? Hey, David. Um, Good to be here. Just uh, enjoying this beautiful Michigan weather that we're we're uh, getting right now. Um, getting ready to uh, to do some shoveling the next uh, day or two. I think. I hate shoveling, and luckily my landlord recently has been uh, sending shovelers, so that has been really nice. I'm not gonna lie, because it's been super super cold in the mitten. Um, I did get to use some of that uh, or utilize the winter a little bit this past weekend went ice fishing for the first time, which was actually pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, it was nice to actually be out in the cold and enjoying it a little bit compared to just dreading every single second of being outside, which has been most of my life, uh, up until this past weekend. I, I know the feeling I went skiing actually for the first time uh, a few weeks ago and uh, had a similar experience. <laughs> Very nice. Well, except it was a little more painful, probably. I, I, I ended up with some <laughs> significant bumps and bruises. Yeah, sitting on a bucket with like a heater inside of like a little tent and having beers is not that painful. Painful. It was actually very, very relaxing. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk. So obviously, this is a huge episode. Uh, this is kind of like the final curtain, I guess you can say, for that competitive-ish Pistons team from the last four years ago or five years ago, kind of dating back to however it is you want to sort of signify that era. Um, Blake Griffin and the Detroit Pistons, uh, they're going to be sitting, the Pistons are going to be sitting Blake Griffin until he and his representatives and the Pistons can agree on some sort of resolution um, with his future, whether that be a buyout, whether that be a trade. Uh, We are going to talk way more in depthly about that here in a second. But, you know, on that note, Matt, you know, on it being that, uh, that sort of final straw, I guess you can say, uh, what are your thoughts about Blake Griffin kind of looking back on him as a player in Detroit? How how do you sort of remember him um, and his time here with the Pistons? So I will remember Blake, you know, in, in several different ways, but more than anything, I think I'll remember Blake as a guy who really did everything that Detroit asked of him Um, to his own detriment, perhaps, you know, he really played through an injury that he maybe should have sat for um, a couple, a couple seasons ago. And he, he got the Pistons into the playoffs he came back on one leg basically and nearly you know made him competitive with the bucks for for a little bit in one of those games um you know played a couple of games against in the playoffs when he probably shouldn't have you know he he has played this year under much different circumstances and you haven't heard him complain at all you've you know heard of him really meshing well with the young players, including uh, especially Sadiq Bey. Um, and obviously it's been too, you know, it's just too much and he's ready to move on. And that's, you know, I appreciate him, I guess, communicating that and not, you know, putting a big show on about it and talking in the media and all that, that sort of thing. So, you know, for me, Blake is just, you know, he's everything you can ask for, you know, certainly it didn't work out like we thought it would. Um, or, or like we hoped it would. I think some of us maybe saw this coming when they traded for him. But, you know, he he did everything that was asked of him and, and more. And uh, I'll, always, I'll always remember Blake in a, in a very positive way with the Pistons. Yeah, it's, it's hard to think about a player, at least as 
recent as this all is right now and as this is happening, like we're talking about this immediately uh, and, and not think about what your most recent memories are of them on the court. But when I was thinking about it more in-depthly today, I had first thought about this show, honestly, Inside the Cylinder, uh, and uh, the day that it broke, me and my old co-host, just that Blake Griffin was getting traded to Detroit. I had this like weird sort of mix of feelings of like really, really excited, um, really, really scared because there was always the the fear in the back of my mind that it was going to end in a similar way that it's that is ending in in reality with him being banged up and him having uh, an injury history prior to coming to Detroit. So I thought about that, and um, I thought that Detroit really did get one hell of a year out of Blake Griffin, one of the most impressive singular performances or, or single seasons that I've seen, at, at least from a Pistons player, um, at, from an individual standpoint, of my lifetime. Uh, he was incredible the year that the Pistons went to the playoffs. It was really a, a bummer the way that it ended that season uh, and him missing the first couple of games against the Bucks. Uh, he was the one guy that, and I had had this sort of general belief when it comes to buying jerseys, at least like my team's jerseys, that I don't do it. I usually buy like Hall of Famers or just historic players that, that jersey's never going to be an outdated jersey. But Blake Griffin's season that year, I was like, I don't care. I'm buying the Blake Griffin jersey. He deserves it. And I've had a lot of fun rooting for him. That was before he got all banged up going into the uh, the playoffs. But he was the one guy that kind of made me break my own rule, which is how high on him I was and how awesome I thought he played for Detroit. So, yes, it didn't end perfectly, but... As you mentioned, it wasn't drawn out too long. They seem to have really been sort of grown-ups in the rooms, both the Pistons and Blake's Blake's team and and Blake himself. And hopefully this will be able to be remedied as cleanly and smoothly as possible and Blake is able to go play somewhere where he'll he'll be able to either at least get to the playoffs, if not contend for a title. Yeah, um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, But... You know, I did want to just mention, I I was quite the Blake skeptic when they traded for him. It looked to me clearly like kind of a last-ditch effort for Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Bowers to um, save their jobs. Um, it was unsuccessful, obviously. But Blake won me over really right away. Um, if the, the first game that the Pistons played and, and the, the – the few games after that, when they kind of went on a little run with him, like Blake just looked happy to be there. Um, he just brought a lot of joy to the arena, to the fans, to the to his teammates, to everyone. It was just a great atmosphere. So I'll always remember that. And then, you know, early in the the next season, his his great season um, a couple of years ago. You know, him dropping 50 against the Sixers was just about the coolest thing ever, I thought. the And, and the last play of the game, too. Or, I don't know, was that the last play of the game? But it was either one of the last plays of the game. The fake handoff, the drive. Probably an offensive foul that was on him, not a foul on Robert Covington, if I remember that play as clearly as I think I do. But just an amazing, amazing game. I think the Pistons... They start off that season seven and three. Was that what their record was when the the year that they made the playoffs? And they definitely was a roller coaster year. But I just remember them, or maybe they started out three and zero, and then maybe they were seven and three. Sorry, I, this is me just speculating while being recorded. But it was really exciting time in Detroit for sure. It, it, for a lot of that season because of Blake Griffin. Yeah, absolutely. And they did start. I don't remember the exact record, but the the Sixers game put them. At like a really good record that might have started them at three and zero maybe, because um, I remember that being a really early game. But yeah, that, I mean that was a, a great season. It was probably, you know, I saw some debate on Twitter over it was the best, you know, best season since who? Um, I heard some Grant Hill or saw some Grant Hill. I still think, you know, there were some certainly some Ben Wallace years there where um, Ben Wallace was just phenomenal. Um, 
But in terms of, I, I think it was Blake's best year of his career. Um, what he did in reshaping his game um, and bringing that to Detroit in a, in a way that Detroit just really desperately needed it at the time um, was, was so much fun to watch. And it's, it's certainly unfortunate that it's ending the way it is, but I am glad that they're both Blake and the Pistons are, like you said, being adults and, and really figuring this out a way um, to, to kind of amicably split in, in a way that's not going to affect the team and is really going to probably benefit the team as well as Blake. Yeah. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what that might look like. As I had mentioned when I, uh, broke the news, not to break the news, but just stated the topic a moment ago. Uh, the Pistons are looking to either trade or to buy out Blake Griffin. Do you see there being any world, I guess, Matt, where the Pistons uh, trade Blake Griffin? Is, is that even a, a possibility or was that just thrown in there as saying, hey, the Pistons are going to do their homework, but you know, I guess what are your thoughts are on it? Do you think the Pistons find any type of avenue to move on Blake Griffin where they're not just attaching a bunch of assets and picks and young players and whatnot? It's difficult for me to see a trade happening. I think the Pistons are going to have to um, attach pr- probably like at least a first, um, you know, and or someone like Sadiq Bay or Isaiah Stewart and that has to be, you know, a, a non-starter for the Pistons. Um, it would be pretty disappointing to to see them do that, um, especially if Tom Gores is willing to just cut the check to Blake. So they cannot stretch him, which is great news for Pistons fans who have been traumatized by stretch the stretch provision in the past. Um, you can only have waived contracts of um, – your waived contracts have to account for less than 15% of the salary cap and Blake's Blake's number would put them well over that. Um, unless they were just to go way into the luxury tax, which obviously isn't going to happen. So the only real realistic outcome to me is a buyout. Um, I think we should probably just talk a little bit about how a buyout would work. And essentially it's just Blake, his and his team, negotiating with the Pistons on what his eventual guaranteed money is going to be. Um, obviously Blake doesn't have to give up any money, but if he, if he's going to get out of Detroit and he wants to get out of Detroit, you know, the Pistons aren't going to just, I don't think buy him out, um, without him giving up some guaranteed money. Um, I saw there was a tweet from Bobby Marks, who suggested maybe, I mean, just hypothetically that Blake gives 10 million back. Um, and the way that Bobby Marks explained it was that Detroit would then take a massive cap hit of 32.7 million next year. Right now, that number is about 39 million, I believe. So that 7 million would actually be cap, cap savings. And the Pistons are projected right now to be just under the cap. So if they can get seven, eight, ten million dollars back from Blake, um, that they can structure in a way that doesn't hit the salary cap next year, you know, that can be uh be some real money that they could use on a on a reclamation project this summer. Yeah, as you mentioned, so Blake Griffin for this season, and we're only about a third of the way through this season, is due $36.5 million. For next season, he has a player option at $39 million. So what you're saying, Matt, is if they can figure out some sort of buyout for some, and I don't have the uh, a cap sheet in front of me or um, a calculator, but as Bobby Marks has said, who is one of these uh, type of gurus when it comes to the cap, uh, if they pay him 32 mil and that's counting, I assume, mostly just of next season's dollars, then the Pistons will then have some sort of money to spend on, you know, seven million dollars. So uh, below the mid-level, but also a guy where 
what we've seen, for instance, out of Josh Jackson. He's on a two-year, $10 million deal. We've, they've gotten a lot of production out of him. Is there any players that you can see this money going towards? Are we too early to, to start playing that game? Or is there someone that you have in mind that would sort of fit the mold of this rebuilding team and kind of just fit everything that we've seen uh, be successful in Detroit so far this year with their young guys? So I do have someone in mind. Um, I was looking through the free agent list earlier today. I think even before the Blake news hit, um, just kind of with in the mind of who could be this next Josh Jackson. And, you know, the name I came across, um, someone I really liked a few years ago and he's played for a couple of teams and it just hasn't quite worked out is Josh Richardson. Um, so Josh Richardson has a player option for next year. And I want to say it's in the eight to 10 million range. So, you know, it's certainly conceivable that he would turn down that option and um, maybe want to start new with, with someone. Um, and he's, you know, he's a guy that I kind of see a little like Josh Jackson um, in that he can kind of, he's shown an ability to create the, the shot has been inconsistent. Um, there's definitely some defensive potential there. Um, and, you know, the, the Pistons, I think could, could use another just really solid two um, or another option at, at the two, um, especially not knowing what is going to happen with Sfee this summer. Um, so, I, you know, I I assume that Josh, Josh Richardson is, you know, somebody that you can probably rehab and, and figure out, and the Pistons seem to be doing a pretty good job with that sort of thing. So he is a guy that I would definitely be interested in. Um, and so I would be looking to get as much money from Blake as you can because, you know, the Pistons at the end of the day do have the leverage of just saying, well, we'll just, you know, sit you on the, ben- sit you on the bench for the next uh, year and year and a half. Um, I don't think they want to do that. That's not the culture they want to build, but they do have some leverage in that regard. And also it, he has is is a player that has fallen out of favor in Philadelphia. It seems like it's kind of going that same route right now with the Mavericks as well. Um, that money could also be spent towards guys that are already within the organization. Uh, as we mentioned last week, talking a little bit more about Dennis Smith Jr.'s contract situation, probably not going to get uh, the qualifying offer, but might still be a free agent you can get on the cheap. Uh, Svee himself, you mentioned, is going to be a free agent as well. So, yeah, there is definitely both internal and external people where that money could be spent. It's just going to be better than forcibly playing Blake or having an unhappy superstar just sitting on your bench for a year when you're literally paying him not to play and he's taking up a roster spot. So there is no... This isn't going to be as clean as a break as you can make it, but that's what happens with these buyout situations. And it's really just about having the team be in the right sort of mental space, having the the organization having a very clear vision about what it is that they're trying to do moving forward. And then if you open up some dollars, you open up that roster spot, that is all beneficial for this Detroit Pistons team moving forward. Is there something that, or I guess for you, Matt, uh, when it comes to just the team in general, you mentioned it on our our notes here. It's the true re it's the true beginning, excuse me, of the rebuild. So, what does Blake's absence, either right now in its immediacy, since he's not going to be playing, and for the long term, mean for the rest of this team moving forward? I guess just for this season, we can talk more just about this season right now. Yeah. So from a a broad standpoint, and I think I said this on Twitter, um, you know, it feels very symbolic, you know, in terms of the new, the new era for the Pistons, um, where his, when, when the Pistons traded for Blake, it was sort of the last deal that really kind of smelled of let's try to get the eight seed. Or, or, you know, with Blake, maybe you were thinking the sixth seed and, and win a couple playoff games. Um, and Troy Weaver has clearly come in and said through his actions, like, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to start over and we're going to do this right. And 
getting rid of Blake's contract and just kind of the all you know getting rid of Blake's contract is a big thing as we just kind of talked about um but just getting past that era in general is is really positive for me um for for this year's team you know it certainly means more minutes um available at the four you can slot Jeremy Grant down at the four in the starting lineup, which I think we've all wanted to see because I think it's certainly the best option for him offensively. It opens up minutes for Seku. It opens up more minutes for Sadiq Bay, Josh Jackson, Svi. You can you can play all of these guys now on a consistent basis where you were you were really looking to you know, everybody had to kind of take a turn before. Um, and I think opening up 30 plus minutes a game is going to allow you to play everyone more consistently and really see what you've got with some of these young guys, especially the ones that you're going to have to make a, a call on coming up like, um, like Sfi. Um, so what, what are, what are your general thoughts, David, about, uh, about what this means for this year's team? Yeah, kind of to your point about the end of the era, this team now has zero players left from last year's team. Uh, They they have Wayne Ellington, who was a rental for that playoff season. Uh, He played, I don't know, not that many games for Detroit in his first go around. But this whole roster has been completely turned over in one year, which is pretty incredible to say, just from uh, an ability to get it done. Uh, way that that uh, uh, oh well obviously except for Seku Dimboya who was on the team uh, so excuse me but uh, yeah that's just pretty incredible and remarkable that Troy Weaver has really been able to build this team right now with what he had available to him in his own image uh, I agree with everything you said because this isn't just something where it's Blake Griffin was he's played such a role within this organization and just at the, when he got on the floor, how many minutes we were seeing from him and the other guys that we have on this roster, you are able to move around. They are, they are not dead set. Like Blake Griffin is a four. You do not want him to play the five. He cannot play the three, but Jeremy Grant can play the four. As you mentioned, uh, Josh Jackson, probably not. You don't want him playing the four. He was actually playing a little bit of the four against the, uh, the Celtics the other night. Uh, but not what he's going to be. But if Jeremy Grant's at the four, Josh Jackson's at the three, Svee can then play the two. It just is such a – he was such a vacuum when it came to sort of stunting a lot of other guys' minutes, uh, indirectly Sekou Dumboya's minutes, that it'll just be nice for to take away a player who is getting 30-plus minutes per game, and it's just going to open it up for a lot of these guys. And you mentioned it right off the bat. Svee, I think, is going to be one of these guys that's going to directly uh, – you're directly going to see impact his minutes going upwards as well. And it does make me think that with this, I guess, straw breaking the camel's back with Blake Griffin, finally, you know, marking the end of that Pistons tenure. Does it also mean that Wayne Ellington is not going to see as many minutes and that they're truly just going to be going full on youth. And then Svee might even open up more minutes. Do you think that this might, in some way affect Wayne Ellington's role on this team moving forward? Or do you think they're still going to try to feature him in, in the hopes that they can move him at a later date? I would expect to see Wayne Ellington in a similar role. Um, you know, lately we've seen, you know, and Wayne hasn't been as strong. He's, he's struggled um, to find a shot like he, at least uh, to the level that he was, um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, which isn't surprising, but he's still starting and, you know, he's just not playing a ton of minutes after he's starting. You know, they run some plays for him, get him some good looks early on, and then move on to the regular offense. And I would expect them to continue to do that, especially I think if you start him and, and show him off early and, and you know, have some design plays where you can get him good looks. Like you can then show – to a contender, an interested trade partner, what he can do, even if he's doing not doing a lot of it for for the team, um, and I think they're probably going to want to keep Svi with the bench unit to see how he's playing with Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay and Josh Jackson 
Um, they're definitely going to want to get him more of those minutes to me to to see um, to just help help their decision this summer, um, make it a little easier. And you mentioned Josh Jackson. You know, he did also play. He started the um, fourth quarter last night the, against the Pelicans um, as the power forward with Dennis Smith Jr., Sfee, Sadiq, and Isaiah Stewart. Um, and I'm also excited to see more of those type of smaller lineups. Um, they, they th- that group, um, especially when it was like Sfee, Sadiq, and Josh Jackson played really well. They were moving the ball like crazy last night. Um, and it was just really fun to watch. Um, so I, I'm hoping with Blake stopping, Blake not being there to kind of stop the offense, um, um, that we continue to see some more of that excellent ball movement and just kind of energy on the floor that has, has really defined a lot of what the, the Pistons have done this year in terms of overachieving, um, based on what, what many people expected them to be this year. Perfectly said. I don't really have much more on the Blake Griffin situation, at least right now. Do you have any final thoughts about him, the organization, or where we're at right now? No, I think that that covers it well. You know, I just, I wish Blake the best, um, you know, thank him for his time here. Um, but it's uh, it's definitely like it was with Andre last year. You know, it's it's definitely time to time to move on. Yeah, and the Cavs are finding that out with Andre right now in a very similar situation to Blake Griffin. Uh, and I, I too, wish Blake Griffin that, that he finds some a, a nice home and can contend because uh, I think he deserves it. What, what do you um, think about an Andre Drummond and JaVale McGee for um, for Blake Griffin trade? We could hoard all the centers once again. Uh, when I saw it go through the uh, – uh, I think Sean had wrote that in our group chat in the Detroit bad boys group chat. And my brain like started to play around with it. Then I was like, this is stupid. This is never going to happen. Don't even waste the mental space to think about that. So I'm just going <laughs> to not answer that question. Um, so since the last pod, the Pistons have gone three and one uh, Tuesday's game coming up against the Spurs Spurs, excuse me, was postponed due to a positive COVID test within San Antonio's organization it's funny that the Pistons have gone three and one because literally last week when we recorded, I had said that I think the Pistons are either going to go one and three or zero oh and four, and they proved me wrong uh, pretty defiantly. So the wins: Brooklyn minus Kevin Durant, Boston minus Kemba Walker, but that's fine, and New Orleans straight up, uh, which was a really good win and, and probably their most decisive win. Or well, the Brooklyn one was actually really decisive, and then they got rolled by Indiana. Any thoughts on Detroit's play last week, Matt? That you want to share with the people? Well, I think we have to start talking about start with talking about Sadiq Bay. Um, he was today named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, which shocked me, frankly. Um, I, I haven't looked at the stats on who who else was in contention. Um, but he did have that great 30-point game against uh, Boston where he just was unconscious from three. Do you want um, his numbers real quick, Matt? Give just them from to the me. Past week. All right. So, And here's why. I'll tell you, his numbers are not underwhelming but surprising. And I was surprised as well. But I'll tell you why I think he did win it. Uh, so over the past week, so that's those four games, uh, he has averaged 17.8 points, 5.5 boards, two assists per game. Uh, but the crazy stat is that he shot 71% from the floor and 70% from three. And it's all capped off, as you mentioned, by that 30-point piece that he had against the Boston Celtics. So I'll kick it back to you. Just wanted to give you some of his numbers of what he looked like from the past week. Yeah, that's incredible shooting, even on a you know four game sample size. Um, but I, you know, the the shooting was great. I really liked also how he operated inside the arc. Um, I thought he played really under control. You know, you see him doing some some more post ups and really being patient there. Um, I saw him 
you know, make a couple passes, make a couple plays in transition, finish at the rim a few times, just things we weren't seeing early in the year. And so that was encouraging to me. Um, and I also thought he played pretty good defense, especially against um, New Orleans. He he found himself on Zion quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I thought he did really well. Um, you know, Zion scored, I think, 27 points, but it was – you know, he, he really had to work for those. And um, he, he was operating against Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart for a lot of those minutes. Um, and there was one one play where Sadiq was basically one-on-one with him. Um, you know, you, you thought that Zion was just going to kind of run him, run him over. And I think this was maybe in the fourth quarter. And Sadiq stood, up, stood him up and really forced him to take like a turnaround – 14 footer, um, that missed. And it was just, it, it was, it was something I was not expecting to, to, to watch, um, when the play was de- developing, but he just continues to, to impress on, on both ends of the floor. He's just such a solid player, the kind of guy you can put on any team and he's going to contribute. Um, and he, you know, it was, even though I'm not sure that he maybe deserved, the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. It was it was nice for him to get that recognition. One hundred percent agreed on everything. As always, Matt, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, yeah, I every everything that you've been seeing, I've been seeing as well. He's driving the lane more effectively in transition. He's been really effective in the post. We talked about this on earlier episodes, like early in the season, about that he actually had the ability to get to his spots in the post, and the shots just weren't falling. We talked about that just you know always be like rimming out. For some reason, uh, well, that's not happening anymore. He's bullying Smalls. He also bullied some bigs. He had some really nice post possessions against Grant Williams in the boss in the Celtics game, and he's a big dude and, and a thick dude. So seeing him be able to sort of will his way down there against him was impressive. Uh, and I noticed a stat uh, on uh, thanks to the friend Duncan Smith. Uh, he had posted. Uh, What's the word for it? Just like the tracking stats. And as of at, or following Saturday's game, Sadiq Bey is ranked in the 90th percentile on post-ups, uh, which is really good stuff to see um, just because it's it, it's working. He's We're seeing it work, and he's looked very calm and collected when he's been down there. Um, I've also really liked his activity on the glass. Detroit's been gang rebounding here um, these last few games. Josh Jackson, Isaiah Stewart, um, Sadiq Bay. It just looks like they've, as a collective unit, really paid attention to the the defensive glass, which has been important because there's been some games where they've gotten where they've lost games because of offensive rebounds allowed. So yeah, I mean Sadiq Bay was just incredible, and watching him do that against the, the Boston Celtics and the confidence that he had and the dagger that he hit at the end of the game. And just watching him relocate from beyond the three-point line, not just standing there waiting for the ball to come his way, really, really good stuff to see. And, and even better to see it in, in a player's rookie year. So Sadiq Bey, man, all the props to you. Yeah, a little confusing on, on the player of the year nod, but not not undeserved. You know, Not something where he just limped into it. He definitely played really, really well this, uh, this week. And, and to you, Matt, for sure starter now going uh, now that Blake Griffin's out of the lineup or do you think that there's another guy that we might see in that spot uh it feels like Sadiq is probably the starter um he always seemed to he always seemed to come in in the lineup when whenever Blake sat um except for maybe a game when when he was kind of going through some struggles um but i would expect him to start I think Josh Jackson, who we can talk about too. Um, I, I like Josh Jackson as more of a a guy coming off the bench who can control the offense, who can run the offense a little more. Um, you know, Sadiq obviously isn't there, and I, I don't know that he's ever going to be that type of player. Um, so I, I, I like Josh Jackson's value there, and I would I would I would keep him more of his minutes with with the bench, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely see him, um, moving into the starting lineup. I think the only way Josh Jackson gets in there is maybe if 
Wayne Ellington gets moved, then, then maybe you see that. But I, 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 th- I think I'm going to write about this soon. Um, but I, Josh Jackson has really impressed me f- um, as a playmaker for others recently, um, especially in transition, which we've seen all year. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on how Josh Jackson has performed lately? Yeah, so and also just on that note, we know what the closing lineup of this team is. It's Delon Wright, it's Josh Jackson, it's Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumley. Like that is the closing line. I, I haven't seen really much change from that other than when Mason Plumley hasn't played. They've talked about it on the broadcast, and that unit's I need to pull it up. I should have had that ready actually, that five man unit, but eye test tells me that they've been playing really, really well. Um, and I just liked all the versatility that that they have within that ro- within that that five-man rotation. But uh, so Josh Jackson, you mentioned it. We've talked about the offense a lot, and he's been really good on that side of the floor. Uh, He's regularly scoring like 16 to 20 points per game, shooting the ball really well as of late, continued to shoot the ball really well as of late, I should say. Um, I have it here, 42% from three, 54% from the floor over his last five games. But I've been really impressed with him on on defense lately. Uh, he's been getting his hands into passing lanes, getting back on defense. He's been trying really hard on defense. You can just see that he gives a shit when he's playing. Uh, and he's near a steal and a block per game over his last 10 games, which is really impressive for a guy who often guards like shooting guards at times. And he's playing around 25 minutes per game. Just to even see him getting a few counting stats like that just shows that he's uh, just really, really active out there. Um and yeah, we've talked about the chase down blocks. It's awesome. He had one that he got ripped from him. I think that was the Celtics game. It might have been the the Pelicans game actually. But either way, I've what I've been seeing out of him on offense is consistently rang true. And I really just like what he's been doing on the defensive side of the floor. I, I love Josh Jackson's game. I love him in transition. I loved watching JJ Redick try to stay with him as he drove to the rim. It was pretty comical. But all in all, I've just been really high on Josh Jackson as late, if you can't tell by these last few episodes of ITC. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I I think uh, one of the things I've liked on his defense as time has gone by is I think he's been a lot better like as an, a man-to-man defender. Um, he's had a history of lapses we saw early in the year and in preseason. Um He's a great help defender. He's got really quick hands, and he he can obviously um, protect the rim, which we've seen time and time again. It was he had a, he had that great block last night against the the Pelicans. They got called for goaltending, and was absolutely not goaltending. Okay, that was the one. It was the Pelicans one. Yeah, that was not yeah. goaltending. That was nasty. It was yeah. It was it was a horrible call. Um, but yeah, he's he's been great. And so I, I pulled up the the lineup you were talking. So Plumley Grant. Right, Jackson Bay. They've only played 26 minutes, but they have a 128.3 offensive rating, 96.2 defensive rating, and their net rating for a net rating of 32.1 um, per 100 possessions. So they've been super small sample size. That would obviously not last, those numbers wouldn't last over a larger sample size, but they've been awesome. Um, 90% of 90.9% of shots or 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 makes are being assisted on um which is an incredible number. So yeah, that's uh that's definitely a lineup to to watch uh moving forward I think. Um and I I'd, I'd like to see some of that lineup with uh Isaiah Stewart in place of Mason Plumley especially probably in late late games, honestly, um, because I think Isaiah Stewart's going to bring a little more versatility defensively, um, which I've seen a lot of lately. What have have you thought about Isaiah Stewart's recent play? Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about his offense last week, uh, but on defense, it just continues to impress me how well he can stay with smaller guys, like how well there were just certain possessions against – I want to say Jalen Brown with uh, even Jason Tatum, where, where you just saw him stick to guys that normally centers get blown by pretty easily. Um, I, I do want him to stop following centers and power forwards 30 feet away from the cup. He has a bad habit of doing that and getting himself into early foul trouble. 
So he really needs to clean that up, especially when it's not consequential, like when you follow that far away from the basket. Um, but all in all, just like his not necessarily switchiness, but just his ability to when he does get switched on, it's not that you're going to try to use him. Um, you know, you you can just rely on him when he does have a small on him more than I thought that you were going to be able to. And just the rim protection has been really impressive as well, especially for his size. He's just getting his hands on a lot of balls. And uh, and I think the gang rebounding mentality has really helped him not sort of just take on all of that uh, on his own shoulders. So all in all, just been really impressed with him on the defensive side of the floor, except for those fouls away from the basket. Yeah. And, you know, he obviously has switched on to some of those smaller guys, like you said. Um, we saw him do it with Chris Paul, I think, which we talked about last week. Um, and then he, you know, I thought he did a good job on um, Demonis Sabonis, um, even though that Pacers game didn't well, didn't go well. Um, but it wasn't for it wasn't Isaiah Stewart's fault. Um, you know, he played pretty decent in his first start, and then he really stoned Zion Williamson last night several times at the rim. Um, you know, he got beat a couple times, but he he was going vertical with Zion. Um, he was kind of stoning him in the post and not giving up any, any, um, any extra space. He, he's just been doing it all defensively. Um, I, I think, you know, an episode or two ago, I talked about him maybe being like Jason, Jason Maxiel plus, you know, as kind of a, a good energy guy off the bench. Um, but the more I see from, from Stewart defensively, with his versatility and, you know, he even made a three this week, which was awesome. Against um, the Nets, looked, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that he, was great. Confident too. He's, yeah. He's, he's taken a couple um, and he looks good doing it. Um, so the more I see, I say it from Isaiah Stewart, the more I'm thinking like he could be, I mean, he could be a legit starting piece moving forward, um, which I did not anticipate talking about even a month ago when, when I, when I was really enjoying watching him. What do you hear when it gets to playoff time? Then they start talking about, you're listening to your NBA pods and you're talking about the contenders and the non-contenders and stuff like that. What, what they bring up a lot is that there are certain guys that can't play certain minutes. Rudy Gobert is one of the guys that gets brought out and they talk about a, a lineup that they might go against where he's just not going to be able to stay on the floor, um, you know, because of that inability to guard smaller guys. Uh, Isaiah Stewart doesn't seem like he's going to have that issue in, in his future. Not that he's going to be as defensively dominant as a Rudy Gobert. I'm not saying that, uh, but uh, just an ability to stay on the floor and stay uh, against a variety of different matchups, both from like a power perspective and from, say, a small ball, more finesse perspective, is really good stuff. And it's really exciting to see, especially when you do start to think about what this roster might look like uh, three, four, five years down the road. So uh, I'm starting to feel that way too, Matt. Yeah, um, and I, you know, his switchiness is why I'd like to see him in some of those late game um, moments, especially. Um, defensively because you know Mason Plumlee tries but he can't he can't move like like Isaiah Stewart can um, in space defensively and you know we've seen some of the issues that come with Mason Plumlee switching um, he's, we, you saw the really bad miscommunication against the Lakers last year in the in the p- bubble playoffs um, and so I'd like to see Isaiah Stewart in some of those situations really just taking advantage of that versatility and, and kind of throwing them in the fire late in games and close games and seeing what you come up with uh, defensively. For sure. But I don't want to slander Mason Plumlee too much here. I definitely want to just give one shout out to Plumlee for the old 17, 10 and 10 triple double that he had against Pelicans. Uh, pretty cool to see him get that done. And he was a really good player in that game, but yeah, you're right. There's just a, a they both bring different things to this team, but the center rotation has been pretty entertaining, to say the least, uh, from this Pistons team so far this year. So a lot of good stuff. Do you have anything else on uh, on Isaiah Stewart? 
Um, not on that, but just to, I, I just wanted to go off your point. I absolutely uh, 100% agree with you on Mason Plumley. He's super solid. Um, you know, that I'm just pointing out is one of one of his his flaws, which he's he's obviously not a perfect player, but um, kind of in that vein, talking about Isaiah Stewart, kind of at the end of games. You know, one of the reasons I'd like to see it is I, I would just like to continue to see Dwayne Casey put these guys, um, be creative with them, put them in different positions, which I think we're seeing a lot. Um, and I think Dwayne Casey deserves a shout out for that. I think he has done a great job with this roster. He took a lot of grief early on, but he really has a good feel for this roster and what buttons to push. Um, and so shout, shout out to Dwayne Casey. I, I think he's, uh, he's, he's silenced the, the critics, uh, by and large, I was going to say that there's not been all of that Dwayne Casey vitriol that on Twitter and online, like we've seen that we saw in the beginning of the year, is really interesting to see people who who were seem to be very very bullish and, and feel a very particular way about Dwayne Casey kind of go silent as soon as um, well maybe you know they change their mind. Everyone can change their mind. Hopefully you know people do that when they get new information. Um, but uh, it has been interesting to see, I'll say that at the least. Uh, but yeah, let's move on now. And uh, so our final topic, this is quicker. I just wanted to do a quick trade watch because we are a month and 10 days away from the trade deadline. So right now, uh, the most pressing news, I guess you can say, or the most immediate news is that uh, the Philadelphia 76ers have inquired about Delon Wright, I guess for you, Matt, your thoughts on the possibility of trading away Delon Wright? Is there some sort of return in general, or a return from the Sixers that you'd like? Are you just saying, "Hey, he's played really, really well. Let's not just go look for the new shiny object and move him." Well, we might as well keep him at this point. Where are you at with it all? Um, so Delon Wright's been terrific as well lately he fits this roster really well I think um he's a guy who can play with your young guys um I would be in no hurry to trade him he's not a guy that I'm willing to just say hey you just take a second round pick and uh let's move on you know like like you might do with Wayne Ellington um so from I haven't I haven't put a whole lot of thought into what he's worth I you know, I think you just kind of evaluate each each trade offer as it comes in. But if you're gonna if you're gonna go make a trade with the 76ers and they're really desperate to to get a guy like Delon Wright, and I understand why they would be, um, I'm probably not doing that trade unless I'm getting Matisse Thibel back. Frankly, um, like I, I would I would want a real asset that fits the timeline that fits the culture that fits what Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey want to do um, before I'm going to give up Dawn, right? Because I do think he's been that good. Um, and, and I th- do think that he can play a role in the team's future, even if it's not a large role. Well said. Uh, DeLon Wright over his last five games, 17.8 points, 55% from three, 60% from the field. 75% from the stripe, seven assists. Yeah, he's just been stuffing the stat sheet. He looked awesome this past week. He looked so good against the Celtics driving the lane. He continued to do that again against the uh, the Pelicans as well. Just been a, a breath of fresh air and uh, really consistent on uh, just as that lead point guard. I'm in the same boat as you. I am not looking to move. Uh, DeLon Wright's not even that old either. I don't have it pulled up. Uh, oh, he's 28 years old, so he's not super young, but he's also not—he's not over 30 yet. And, and there's only on this roster for a couple more years, uh, or for maybe one more year following this year. I think he signed a two-year deal. Um, but my point being is that I don't think that they should just look to move him for a second-round pick or two second-round picks. I think if someone is really, really wants to get in the mix and they have a first-round pick, then there can be a discussion to be had there. But yeah, I agree with the the Philadelphia 76ers. They seem to be 
very uh, not in the the camp of moving Matisse Seibel. So I don't know if Detroit would be able to pry him away from them. But uh, I'm not looking for filler in in second rounders right now, especially with how well he's played and how well he seems to just sort of get everyone going and get everyone in the right spots. And we've seen so much production out of so many of these guys in Detroit. I think DeLon Wright has a lot to do with it. So uh, I was a little worried when I saw that pop there. I was like, oh, no, are they going to move him? Because I really like what I've seen. So I'm hoping that they don't. But if they do, I I do think that the the asking price would be relatively high. Uh, And and just another just outstanding signing by Troy Weaver. He's really, really impressed me the more that we've been able to look over everything and seen the finished product for Detroit. Yeah, he uh, he's been great, and they they did trade for Delon. Um, his contract is up next year. He 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 makes eight and a half million next year. So you know, if he continues to play like this, um, or even if he takes a little bit of a step back, he's still an eight and a half million dollar expiring contract next year. So that would be the time where you're looking to maybe unload him for a little bit less. Um, but if you can continue to get pr- the production that you're getting from him, I, I don't, I don't see why you do that. Um, that, I mean, the Pistons are frankly getting to the point where maybe they're too good. <laughs> that Maybe that's the, that's the reason that you would, uh, you would get rid of him. I don't know. Um, but as a, I, I don't know, as a, as a general fan, I guess it's hard for me to, uh, I, I, I can never cheer to lose. So, um, I'm happy to see them uh, playing well. Yeah, it's something for me from a fan perspective that I go into a game and I want them to win every game. And then if they're losing, it's I just don't care, right? Or if they're down 15 points in the fourth quarter with five minutes left. It's just, it's just an area where it's like, okay, well, that's a loss. Put that in the old Cade Cunningham piggy bank and hopefully we can cash this puppy later. But uh Going into games, I am looking for good stuff from the Pistons, and, and good stuff usually leads to winning basketball games. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. We can talk more about other trade stuff later, but I think that pretty much wraps it for everything that I have. Matt, do you have anything else you want to toss in there? No, that uh, that covers it. That was that was a lot um, that we covered, and uh, we we kept it uh fairly brief so that's good (laughs) under an hour it's a lot of stuff to talk about Blake Griffin is no longer playing on this team so we had the right to be at this minute marks but we do appreciate everyone tuning in follow Matt on Twitter at way Matt H follow me on Twitter at the underscore financial follow inside the cylinder on Twitter at inside the C-Y-L-N-D-R all new episodes on DetroitBadBoys.com, Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream, and we are out for Matt. I'm David. Peace.